Great. Well, do turn back uh, to Leviticus uh, chapter 3. Leviticus chapter 7. We'll be looking at bits of both of those uh, as we look at the fellowship offering uh, tonight. If you were here this morning, we looked particularly at the Burns offering in chapter 1 of Leviticus. You may know, may have heard of uh, a man called John Snow. He's a journalist until very recently. He was the presenter of the Channel 4 News. He was on uh, Radio 4's Desert Island Discs a few years ago, and he was interviewed about his life. And it turned out that his father was a vicar and a very devout man. But in the course of the interview, he said something very striking, and it was something that I found very sad. He said this. My father didn't really expect devout Christianity from us, but he expected performance from us. Prayer every morning, church going, etc. Expected performance, but not necessarily uh, devotion. It's no surprise then, and as the interview went on, it's clear that he rejected his father's faith. Now I bristled at that, as I hope you do, because... A performance instead of a real love and trust for the Lord Jesus Christ is a horrendous substitute. It is why many, I think, reject Christianity. It lies at the heart of criticisms of Christianity simply as an institutional religion. And it is, in some ways, the opposite of what God in his word wants of his people. He wants our hearts He wants our whole beings. He wants us to enjoy fellowship with him. And we see that in Leviticus. That might surprise you. After all, Leviticus, you might say, is full of what we might call the trappings of institutional religion. It's full of descriptions of sacrifices of religious people like priests. It is full of laws and rules and regulations. But it would be a mistake to think that this book is here just to produce a people who simply go through the religious motions. In fact, God is clear. He rebukes his people throughout his word for doing just that. And written into Leviticus itself is the truth that the Lord requires and delights in relationship with his people. And that is particularly seen with this offering, this peace offering, or other versions of the Bible describe it as the fellowship offering. You'll remember from this morning that Leviticus begins with a description of the five basic offerings the Israelites were to bring. And we looked at the the most foundational one this morning, the burnt offering. This afternoon, we're going to jump ahead, uh, so we've only got two services with you, uh, to the fellowship offering. And like all the other offerings, the description of it is in two different chapters. Chapter 3, where we see it kind of the instructions of the offering to the people. And then again, uh, through in chapter 7, where we get the instruction to the priests. So kind of how the people are to bring the offering and then how the priests are to offer the offering. Now this fellowship offering, this peace offering, is a bit different to the other four offerings. The other other offerings dealt in some way with the reality of sin in the life of the people. And the sacrifice that was brought was either burnt up completely or given to the priests. And they obviously 
point in different ways and from different perspectives to the sin-bearing work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It points to the cross. But this offering was brought not to establish, not to deal with anything, but it was brought by the worshipper simply to celebrate, simply to enjoy what the Lord has done. It's the worshipper enjoying the fact that they have peace, that they have fellowship with the Lord. In fact, I think you should always go as far as to say that the fellowship offering, the peace offering, is the crucial test of whether you as an Israelite really values your relationship with the Lord. Whether you'd really engaged with your heart with the other offerings. So we're going to look at this offering and we're going to ask the question, what do we learn about fellowship with the Lord from the fellowship offering, from the peace offering? What do we learn uh, about peace with God from the peace offering? Well, the first point uh, I want us to see is that enjoying fellowship, enjoying peace with God comes as a result of atonement. Enjoying fellowship, enjoying peace with God comes as a result of atonement. First thing, and we mustn't miss this as we think about this sacrifice, what we need to see is that peace with God always comes because atonement has already been made. So look at chapter 3, the first five Verses, they are the basic instructions for bringing the offering. They are very similar to the other sacrifices. The animal needs to be without defect. The worshipper's hands are laid on the animal. The animal's killed. The blood is spread on the altar. Some is burnt up. We'll, we'll come to that later. Uh, but then verse 5, we're told, Then Aaron's sons shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering, which is on the wood of the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So the important thing to notice there, <coughs> excuse me, the fellowship offering was burnt on top of the burnt offering. Now, if you're here this morning, you'll remember that the burnt offering was the foundational offering in Israel. Every morning and evening they were brought, not by the same family, but they were just constant bringing of the, the burnt offering so that the fire of the burnt offerings never went out. They were brought for atonement be a substitute for, for, for the people to, to, uh, as, a, as a picture of turning aside the wrath of God that was towards the people because of their sin, obviously pointing uh, to the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, the great burnt offering, the great fulfilment of that, the perfect sacrifice. Now we need to see why the Israelites could bring this offering to rejoice in the fellowship they have with God. Um, and the only reason they could bring this peace offering was because the burnt offering was already there. They couldn't enjoy the peace they had with God unless an animal had been burnt up and that fire was already burning, sending that sweet aroma up to the Lord. This peace they enjoyed came at a high price and they needed to remember that. And they would every time they came. It was a very sordid news story, I know, but we couldn't avoid it, could we? Do you think uh, when uh, Matt Hancock, um, uh, that story came out about Matt Hancock breaking his, his marriage vows, 
He couldn't just go home to his wife, could he, and pretend those pictures hadn't come out. He couldn't just pretend nothing was wrong. He couldn't just enjoy the benefits of married life without dealing with what he'd done and having to uh, face the consequences. If he'd have gone home uh, and just tried to ignore it, well, it just wouldn't work, would it? When a relationship is broken, when there is anger and pain and consequences, you cannot just pretend nothing is wrong. And that's the same with God. You cannot have the benefits of a relationship with him before that barrier of sin has been removed. Fellowship, peace, the, the benefits, they all, it always comes after on the foundation of atonement. Not before, not instead of. So this morning's sermon still needs to be ringing in our ears as we think about the peace offering. Before we can even think about enjoying peace and enjoying fellowship with God, we need to ask the question, don't we? Are our sins forgiven? Do we know that the price has been paid by the Lord Jesus Christ? Have we trusted in the substitute that God has provided and turned to Christ as Saviour and Lord? If we haven't, then we will never have the privilege of fellowship with God. Like the Israelites, we need to recognise that offering needs to be on the altar first. Without it, any fellowship anyone tries to have with God, well, it's offensive. In a sense, it makes our sin worse because we are pretending the problem isn't there. There are two reasons, aren't there, why... Two main reasons why sick people don't go to the doctor. The one reason is is because they don't know they're unwell. Or perhaps they try and hide it. Perhaps they try and hide it because they think actually they can deal with the illness themselves. Perhaps they think time will solve the the symptoms. Or perhaps with with a bit of help from Dr Google and some vitamin C and some fresh air, it'll all work out. And the same could be true in the spiritual arena. Perhaps you don't know how sick you really are left to yourself. Well, that's why I wanted us to look at Leviticus. And actually, if you dig into the Bible, we see some pretty horrible things about the state of our own heart. But just as with our bodies, we can't, we shouldn't, we can't run from that. It's wrong, it's foolish, it's dangerous to run from that when people show us how sick we really are. When God shows us how sick we really are, we need to recognise that and face up to it and do something about it. And the other thing the Bible does is it says, actually, we can't do anything about it ourselves. But God has done something about it in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we must never think... We can know God. We can have fellowship with God without having that sickness. In fact, it's more than sickness. It's it's a rebellion. It's sin against God without having that dealt with in our lives. Enjoying fellowship, well, it comes from, firstly, the atonement that's already there. Second thing we need to notice is that, that enjoying peace with God, it flows from a joyful heart. It flows from a joyful heart. 
Uh, and I think that's particularly true as, as you see that the instructions to the priests in chapter 7. So just flick over to chapter 7 from, from verse 11. Now, the really unique thing about this particular offering, the peace offering, is that no one had to bring it. It was not compulsory like the burnt offering. It didn't have to be brought when you sinned like the sin offering. It was brought voluntarily. It was brought when the worshipper wanted to bring it. It was left to you to choose when to bring it. And that makes sense. It's basically an offering that says, I I love being in fellowship with God. I love the peace I have with the Lord. I'm enjoying that peace. And you can't force that kind of thing, can you? Now, in chapter 7, we see there are three times when you might choose to bring this offering. So look at verse 12. It might be brought as an expression of thankfulness. Perhaps you've had a new baby or a grandchild in the family. Perhaps you've just got married. Perhaps you've had a good harvest, a good crop. What do you want to do? You want, you want to look beyond those things and praise the one who's given them to you. You want to express thanks. Or verse 16, it might be a result of a vow. Perhaps you've promised something solemnly before the Lord. You may have taken priestly service. You may have taken a Nazarite vow. That might seem a little bit odd to us, but I think we still do it more than we might think. You think of marriage, you think of church membership, you think of baptism, ordination. This peace off thing, it was brought to do those things in the sight of God. Or thirdly, it was just a free will offering. Perhaps you just felt especially grateful to the Lord and you're enjoying being in covenant relationship with him. A way of expressing your joy that he is your God and you are part of his people. No one had to bring this fellowship offering. It wasn't forced. But your attitude towards this fellowship offering, it spoke volumes about your attitude towards your relationship with the Lord. Now, there may well, have, may well have been some Israelites who got to this point of Leviticus and thought, wow, a sacrifice I don't have to bring. Great. After all, meat's expensive. The sacrifices take up time. And I'm happy just with knowing that my sins are forgiven. I can get on with the rest of my life. But would you say that was a healthy way of viewing being part of God's people? Well, No. Sacrifice is not compulsory, it's not expected, but it's assumed. It's the third of five sacrifices. It's right in the middle of these sacrifices. What the fat peace offering is saying is that that, that just knowing you're forgiven in a sense is not enough. Forgiveness, atonement, being part of God's people is there for a purpose. We know that in terms of our human relationships. So imagine someone in your family has been uh, 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 a broken relationship with you for many years. Every Christmas up to this point, their, their place around the table has been empty. It's been a sad reminder of that broken relationship, of that sin that had been committed. And then imagine there's, there's this wonderful reunion. Sins are confessed. There's forgiveness given. What's so happen- not so amazing about what happens next? What's so wonderful? Well, the family are together. There's fellowship. You are enjoying being together again. Perhaps a bit more kind of down to earth. Just think of a husband and a wife. They get married. The husband tells his wife 
he, he loves her. She says, I love you. And they get married on, on, on the wedding day now for the rest of the, the marriage. Do they kiss? Do they tell each other they, lo- they love each other? Or do they just look back to that, that day and think, well, well, well we, said it, we said it then. <laughs> so that's all that matters. We, we've ticked that box. We're married. Well, well, no, the purpose of marriage is to have that, that fellowship and to grow in love and to grow in that relationship. It's not simply that to kind of tick that box that, that you're married. See, as the Lord saves his people, he, he wants his people to enjoy fellowship with him, to love him, to be thankful, to be joyful in relationship with him. Forgiveness, being a Christian, is not about having a ticket to heaven that we put in our back pocket when we need it. It's about fellowship and joy in relationship with him. So to put it another way, the Israelite who never brought the fellowship offering, you could say never really knew the Lord. Now, like all these sacrifices, this offering gives, I think, a perspective on what Christ achieved for us on the cross. Yes, he provides atonement, but he does it for the sake of fellowship. He gives his, his people a status justified in the sight of God. The punishment has been taken. We are declared righteous. But he also brings us into a relationship with him. We are part of his family. We are united to him. We call God Father. And one aspect of how we express this after the cross is, is, well, actually, it's not obviously now us bringing physical sacrifices, but it's through our obedience and our service of him. Striking out for the New Testament, our giving, our service as Christians is described in terms, in the language of the fellowship offering, the peace offering of Leviticus. That makes sense. Doesn't it? Our obedience, it can never be a sin offering. It can never pay or deal with our sin. But as we obey, we are expressing our joy, our fellowship with the Lord. There's a sense in which that it's not, in a sense, compulsory and that it's not what makes us a Christian. But it comes, it flows from us belonging to the Lord. That's why when you get into to Revelation, you've got the letters to the seven churches. The Lord, what well, he speaks very harshly, doesn't he, on churches that are just seem to be going through the religious motions, but are not doing it out of love and delight in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're lukewarm. They've moved away from their first love. Good example, I guess, is money. We can often struggle with Christians with the absence of a command we can point to, like... Christian must give a tenth. There's there's no such command because it's more like the fellowship offerings that the Israelites brought. So Paul writes to the Corinthians and says he doesn't command them to give anything, but he wants it to flow from the sincerity of their love. We must give what we've decided in our heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. It's a free will offering given out of the joy of our hearts of what we feel about God and expressing fellowship with him. So we just think about our lives, if you're a Christian here, how is your heart towards God? And sense, this fellowship offering and, and our, the way we think about and our attitude towards loving and trusting and walking with God, ask that question of us. Is our hearts 
cold. When we think about our, our lives in relationship with God, are we just going through the motions? Are we full of the joy of the privilege of knowing him? Guessing there'll be a mixture of people in different situations here. The most dangerous situation is being just deadly cold, satisfied even, with going through the motions religiously, Sunday by Sunday, but actually not even bothered that there's a problem. I want to say that, that is serious. That is not what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus. The Lord would say, wake up. Perhaps you know there's coldness, but you long that there wasn't. Well, to, well, to help that, I want, want us to see the third point of this fellowship offering, which is all to do with the character of the God we are in fellowship with. We've seen that fellowship is, is built on uh, atonement. Atonement comes first. Um, uh, we've, we've seen uh, the second point, uh, that it comes from a joyful heart. But then thirdly, we see that this, this peace, this, this fellowship, it comes... Well, from a gener- generous Lord, we are enjoying peace. We are enjoying fellowship with a generous God. Why might you resist bringing this peace offering if you were in Israel? Well, it, obviously, as I said, it's not compulsory, but also it's actually very costly. Meat was not cheap. Like all the other sacrifices, you had to bring the best you had. We'll be tempting to think that this Lord you were in a relationship with was a bit mean. He just took and took and took. <coughs> and if that was your view, then no wonder you did not enjoy relationship with him. These thoughts, I guess, we might never say it, but perhaps they sometimes enter our minds. When our lives are hard and when obeying Christ is hard, perhaps we think that the Lord is a bit of a tyrant. We read verses where Jesus calls us to lay down our lives and take up the cross and it just feels hard. When we live in a society where we would laugh at some of the things that Jesus would say and the God, the Lord would say in his word about how we are to live in terms of uh, different ways which are so out of step with the world around us. We just think, well, it's so, such a harsh, it's so difficult. And at those points, I guess our view of God's love and his grace, it seems small when we are just going through the motions. When we and they were, were thinking that, we're actually thinking like the pagans. We're not thinking like worshippers of the Lord. The other nations around Israel, they worship their gods like this. They brought sacrifices to feed their gods when their gods were hungry. Their gods were mean and took from them. They had to serve their gods and feed them and water them. And they, very, they never received anything back. But what did the Israelite who brought this fellowship offering find out about the Lord? He found out that precisely the opposite was true of the Lord. That the Lord isn't demanding, he's not harsh, he's not a taker. No, he gives, he serves, he feeds his people. So look at verse 15 of uh, chapter uh, 7. Um, the animal that the worshipper is, to be, is brought, to be sacrificed to the Lord, is given back to him uh, and he, it is to be eaten. So the one who brings this 
sacrifice. He enters into a meal, a meal that is hosted by the Lord. Now, the Lord takes some of it, the blood, the fat, the innermost parts, the priest receives something. But the rest, it becomes this lavish banquet for the worshipper and for the worshipper's family. It becomes this great celebration. The Lord gives, he doesn't take. And they enjoy this fellowship, this peace together. Notice how generous it is. There were some really important regulations in verses 15 to 18. The meat must be eaten up quickly. Now, that's not just for hygiene reasons or because they don't have a fridge. Uh, that is, uh, what, it, what it encourages the worshipper to do is to share with their friends, with their family, with those around. Enjoying fellowship with the Lord. It's not just a personal, individual thing, but it benefits a community. Such a wonderful picture when you kind of get past the, the kind of uh, the, the language, which, which is just very, very kind of instructional. If you kind of enter uh, into kind of what this means, it, it's wonderful. You see, if your view of the Lord tonight is of a God who just takes and is mean and harsh, you will never move beyond a kind of formal religion into enjoying relationship with him. But Leviticus... Leviticus shows us that our Lord, the Lord we worship, he's a, he's a giver. The burnt offering is a gift to the Israelites. The offering is a gift uh, to, to the Israelites. It's not because he needs bulls and sheep. The burnt offering points to the fact that the Lord has provided a means of closing that gap between a holy God and a sinful person, pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. The fellowship offering, it's a generous meal laid on by the Lord for his people to feast and to enjoy relationship with him. It's no accident then. When you get into the New Testament, then so often our relationship with the Lord is described in terms of a meal. And that repentance and forgiveness and in knowing Christ is, is pictured in just, just kind of meal, a picture of meals and celebrations and parties. What happens when the prodigal son returns? Becomes penniless and broken, but the father kills the fattened calf. What's the kingdom of heaven like? It's like a great banquet where everyone is invited. What's described at the, at the end of Revelation? The marriage supper of the Lamb. The Lord is a generous party host and all who come to him through Christ enjoy fellowship with him. How does that help us now? Well, how do we today express this truth that the Israelite worshipper expressed as he brought the fellowship offering? Well, two ways well firstly as i've already mentioned it's in the way we think about our obedience the lord wants those who will follow and obey him wholeheartedly and joyfully and christians have always found that, that as they obey the lord and give him everything in, in costly and often painful ways god is no tyrant he gives back wonderfully just as the Israelite brought his animal, the cream of his crop, only to find that the Lord says, I'm giving it back to you to feast on. That's so often how our obedience works. We die to self and then what happens? He raises us up to new lives of blessing to us and to others, even as it is costly and painful. So we give him our time and he strengthens us and we bless others and find ourselves blessed. We give 
money and he cares for us. We give him our family and he's faithful with them and proves himself to be more loving than we imagine. He is not a mean God who just takes. There's actually another more visual way that we express this fellowship offering as Christians outside of the cross. And I just want you to bear this in mind. It obviously doesn't apply to, to tonight's service, but the next time you gather around the Lord's table, I want you to think a little bit about the fellowship offering, about the peace offering. It's no accident that the Lord Jesus Christ himself asked his church to regularly eat to a meal together. Just think for a moment the parallels between the fellowship offering and the Lord's Supper. In both, we're reminded of how much our fellowship with the Lord cost. Atonement is central, isn't it? As we fix our eyes on Jesus, his flesh, his blood poured out for us. In both, the Lord himself is, is the host of the meal. It's his table, it's not ours. We're not feeding him, he's feeding us. And by the Lord, when we gather around the Lord's table, he's not just feeding us physically now, is he? But spiritually strengthening our faith as we look to him, as we believe in his word. It's a greater fellowship meal even. We don't have to stay away now for our unclean. We're all called to come if we trust in Christ because Christ has dealt with all our sin. It's greater than the fellowship, the peace offering, because in a sense we... We, we, we drink the cup. We drink what represents the blood. Once was, that was the portion reserved from the Lord because that blood has now been poured out for us. And it is a celebration. In our churches, often we sit in kind of silence, don't we, to, to, to focus on Christ. That's a good and that's a right thing. But we must never forget that when we gather around the Lord's table, we are coming together as God's people, just as this fellowship offering, this peace offering, was a time of celebration as the people together had to eat up uh, the meat. So as I close, really, this, this fellowship offering, it asks one question of each of us this evening. And that is, are you enjoying peace and fellowship with the Lord? Are you enjoying peace and fellowship with the Lord? And the answer to that question, I think, gives us quite a, uh, uh, an important, um, says something very important about the state of our hearts before the Lord this evening. And let's pray and then we will sing to close.